It's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't f*** it up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. What is up, buttercups? Welcome to Mean Age Daydream. I'm, of course, Brian McWilliams, your beautiful, hunky, and horrible at times host. Welcome to the show. I am, uh, once again, unbelievably busy. I, um, as you know, as I announced last week, took on the role of communications director for the LP. I am still uh, getting myself up to speed, getting my lists, getting all my stuff in a row. You know, it's a, it's a lot happening fast. Uh, one of the topics, actually, I just put out a statement from Angela McArdle about ghost guns, and I'm going to talk about that during this show as well, because the Supreme Court just ruled on ghost guns and ghost gun kits. Now, it's a temporary ruling. I'll get into a little bit more later on today, but it pissed me off, and I'm sure you will be pissed off, too. But in the meantime, welcome to the show, guys. As you heard on Monday, of course, Crowd Health is an ongoing sponsor for our show. I just want to give them a quick shout out since they have been such a strong supporter of ours. If you guys are sick of dealing with health insurance, try Crowd Health. It is not health insurance. It is a voluntary system that's going to help you make direct payments much simpler. They even help you negotiate with your provider. So check out joincrowdhealth.com. Use promo code LIONS. You can get $50 a month for six months months if you join using our code and uh, you're going to love it. Frankly, it's going to uh, change the way you think about how you handle your health issues and incidents in your life through a voluntary system. It's pretty much everything we believe in and it's proof of concept. So on to the show. First things first, in case you didn't know, the U.S. women's national team is playing. I know John did talk about this on his show as well, but I want to add my two cents because as you know, I really hate Megan Rapinoe. And seeing her miss a penalty kick and then laugh about it. Now, people are giving her a lot of flack because she laughed about after the, missing this kick, right? And basically, Sweden had made three in a row. Uh, or sorry, the United States had made three in a row. Sweden now was in a position of weakness in a penalty shootout. 0-0. Zero, zero. The United States defense played well. The goalkeeper for the United States played well. But coming down to it, Megan Rapinoe, who's supposedly the best player, the golden boot winner back in previous uh, editions of the Women's World Cup, misses her penalty kick wide right of the top right corner of the bar, turns around and starts to chuckle to herself. Now, she's gotten some shit for this unfairly, even though, as I said, I'm a fair man. I hate her, but unfairly for chuckling. I will tell you, I often chuckle if I'm good at something and I feel confident in it and I miss or I screw up or whatever happens, I will often laugh to myself and shake my head on the golf course, for instance, about lost my fucking mind the other day because I hit a perfect drive, you know, 280 yard drive, middle of the fairway, perfect approach shot right onto the green and somehow four putted. <laughs> Now, I've never had that happen before, <laughs> but I'll tell you, I was really angry about it. Same thing, you know, playing beer pong, my passion in life. If I miss at beer pong 70 times in a row, something that I've never done, I will shake my head and laugh it off because you can't believe how crappy you've been and in, in the biggest spot, right? With all this attention focused on, with all the negativity focused on Megan Rapinoe for her ongoing campaign against the United States. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, she didn't help her cause because when asked 
what the most fond memory of her career is, she had said, well, it was when everybody was chanting equal pay, right? So this is a woman who is an egomaniacal monster, essentially, who had put her own self-interest, her own fame, her own social causes ahead of the national team. This is why some 50% of the country was essentially rooting for the U.S. women's national team to lose. And they did lose, and they lost in terrible fashion with Megan Rapinoe missing that kick. Now, I will say there's a downside to Megan Rapinoe going out in such fashion, which now means that she can dedicate all of her time to annoying the living hell out of us by trumping these social causes, by pretending that there is a wage gap that isn't influenced by market solutions or by personal choice, something that's been debunked a billion times over. She's now free to do all that crap. So expect her to be out there. I'm sure expect her to be on the campaign trail. It wouldn't surprise me one whatsoever, one iota or whatsoever if she was out there campaigning. But I had to chuckle to myself a little bit here because the... Little League World Cup is on. Oh, good. I've got a nice dry patch right on my forehead. That looks great on camera. The Women's World Cup is on. The U.S. Women's National Team is not there. And it's at the same time the Little League World Series is on. Now, I'm not saying if you watch the Little League World Series that you're some sort of pedophile creeper, although I certainly... It's rattling around the back of my head. (laughs) I don't know why anybody wants to watch little kids play baseball. For the life of me, I don't. Um, Unless it's your kid. And I guarantee most of you don't have little kids in the Little League World Series. But I was just laughing because now that the Women's World Cup, uh, the Women's U.S. Soccer Team got knocked out, I was like, you know, I could have had these on two TVs at the same time. I could have watched the Women's World Cup out there and the the U.S. Women's National Team on TV at the same time as the children they're trying to groom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, I joke. I know. I know most of the women on the U.S. women's national team are not trying to groom children. But with Megan Rapinoe's comments about how she would gladly welcome men into the league, never mind that the women's national team got blown out five to two by a Dallas high school team, boys high school team. I don't know if that's the best way to think about things. And of course, she can say this not being around to see the consequences. But I digress. Just a quick thought on that. Megan Rapin, no more. Bye-bye, Megan. Um, another quick hitter here, just because this was going through the news cycle, is that Ron DeSantis was out talking to, I guess, you know, the uh, the Jewish League of Gentlemen and had gone on record as saying, well, you know, he's got a very strong record of supporting Israel, which he does. Honestly, that's one of the things that I do not like about Ron DeSantis. Uh, same thing with RFK. One of the things I do not like is a support for what is, in my opinion, an apartheid state uh, with unforgivable uh, treatment of their neighbors down in Palestine, uh, essentially a prison complex that they run down there and with total approval from the United States government, despite terrible, tragic conditions and what I would argue are very, very blatant human rights violations. But still. Ron DeSantis is out there talking about it. And of course, he's got to get these people on his side more desperately than ever because Donald Trump has such a massive lead. So, oh, and by the way, DeSantis just fired his third campaign director, which tells you things aren't going great for old Ron. Is he still a better option than Trump? I don't know. I honestly don't know. In many ways, yes. In many ways, no. I think they both uh, kind of suck at this point. But 
One of the things that got latched onto, and rightly so, was that Ron DeSantis said that he would go after third world countries that were hotbeds of anti-Semitism. Actually, I should just share this because there's no real reason for me to, to make these things up. I should just play the words out of the mouth of the man himself so you can hear them directly so you know that I'm not just putting things in his mouth, which maybe would help his cause, help with the gaze if I did put something in his mouth. So here's, here's Ronnie Ron Ron. We're going to go after these third world countries uh, that have become hotbeds of anti-Semitism. There you go. Real quick, right? Real short. We're going to go after these third world countries that have been hotbeds of anti-Semitism. Okay, Ron, what do you mean? Are you talking just politically? Are you talking about sanctions? I would argue, as I have always argued, that sanctions on countries that we don't like, whether they be sanctions against people for, uh, for you know, their hatred of gays or their quote-unquote development of nuclear arms or their whatever it might be, these are sanctions that rarely have any effect on the leadership of the countries, rarely, if any, effect, and simply punish the poor, who are, by the way, not equipped to overthrow the government. And we're seeing that with Iran. Iran still hasn't been overthrown despite massive protests, right? Everybody's talked about this, or maybe they were ignoring it. Massive protests in Iran over the treatment of a, a uh, female protester who, if I recall correctly, was killed. The leadership's still the same. Now, maybe that'll change, but I'll tell you what's not going to help change it is fucking sanctions. So is Ron talking about how we're going to sanction third world countries to what? To punish the, the very poor people in those countries? I mean, this certainly sounds like bullying countries that have probably have little say over the massive culture shift it would take to somehow punish anti-Semitism. Are they going to try to enact, are we going to try to force through hate speech laws to, so you can't say mean things about Jewish people in countries that aren't even ours? I would say that that's bullshit here in America because the first amendment cannot be infringed. You have the right to say these things. You have the right to be debated. You have the right to defend your position and other people have the right to attack you for saying stupid shit. So what exactly are we going to do? Sanction them, refuse to trade them, refuse to allow people to travel to them. We're going to revoke visas like with Cuba. Like, what are you fucking talking about here? At worst, I have to think that Ron, who has a tradition of saying quite neocon things, is talking about taking military action in these third world countries. Not that we don't already do that. I mean, let's not forget we're already taking action all over Africa. We're already taking action in all over uh, countries in the, throughout the, the Middle East as well. Is you want to, what do you want to do? You want to bomb these poor people? Well, you know, these third world countries are hotbeds of anti-Semitism because they don't like Jews. So we, uh, let's go kill them all. Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? I know he's trying to placate an audience and win them over, but this is one of the stupider things I've heard a politician say. And it doubles down on failed policy, on militarism, on, you know, failed foreign policy in regards to sanctions, and really, I think, increases the potential for us to, once again, create more terrorists, more opponents for the United States who might take violent action against us here. And for what? For what? Show me the diagram. Please show me the diagram that is going to adjust how these countries feel about Jews by us taking negative and punitive actions against them. It is not the way forward. If you want to change people's perception, maybe try to focus on the positive. Accentuate the positive. I can't remember the rest of that song. Something about the negative. Something stupid. But anyway, moronic. Okay. 
Next topic, guys. We're just going to pop, pop, crack it through here. Um, said I'm unbelievably busy. By the way, if you're in Los Angeles area, I just got hired to do a, uh, a public relations event. I'll give them a free plug here on the podcast. Uh, it's called Syncra. S-Y-N-C-R-A, Syncra. It's a cyberpunk digital experience at the Port of Los Angeles. Uh, that's why I'm a little bit frazzled. We got hired to do it literally a week before the media VIP preview opening, which puts me in a very difficult position of trying to get the uh, the dingleberries in the Los Angeles media community to show up to an event on a week's notice. But such is life. Anyway, it looks awesome, uh, honestly. If you're in the LA area, check it out. And don't forget, by the way, on September 9th, Robbie the Fire is coming here to this palace that uh, God knows what shape it's going to be in because I'm having two walls torn down in my house, supposedly on the 14th of August. But we're going to host it for the patio tour, the porch tour, excuse me. It was a blast last time. I will once again put the uh, the link in the show notes. Make sure to get your tickets because, I don't know, we're going to have to cap that at some point uh, just because of the size of my patio and my backyard setup. So make sure to get your tickets now. Otherwise, you're probably getting it turned away. Okay, so I mentioned the ghost gun ruling. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Because essentially what what it rolled down here, and I'll redo the exact uh, breakdown of of the ruling. So the Supreme Court just ruled on the Biden administration's attempts to regulate ghost guns as though they are your typical manufactured firearms that, you know, you could buy at any gun store, which of course require you to go through a background check. They require you to, uh, you know, to be in the system, uh, to have your waiting period, all that good stuff that the government loves to shove down your throat for something that is supposed to be a constitutionally guaranteed right. So came down today. I'm recording on Tuesday. These ghost guns, despite a six to three conservative majority, were temporarily regulated. Now, this was five to four. John Roberts, uh, who shamefully has sided with the Biden administration, temporarily at least, and Amy Coney Barrett joined the three liberal justices in the majority, saying that the ATF can now regulate guns and that they will fit the ghost gun kits fit within the definition of firearm under federal law. So they will now regulate them through the traditional process. Now, this is a temporary ruling because litigation is still going on for this. The Biden administration is arguing that this presents a quote-unquote public safety risk in that you can go around the, the process of having to buy a traditional firearm by getting a ghost gun manufacturing kit. Now, what this is, is not like they send you the pieces in the mail, by the way, to clarify this. I know most of you listening probably know, but let me just be clear. It's not like they send you the pieces in the mail that you then put together to make your own gun or anything like that. No, they give you instructions that you then print online at home. This is then information. This is free speech. These are instructions. There is no fucking way the government should be able to censor the processing, the dissemination of information, period. There's no fucking way they should be able to do that. But yet they want to go ahead and at least temporarily, and I'm sure that this is going to hold up, by the way, but I, I hope I'm wrong. But they want to make sure that these people that are creating the instructions for these ghost guns for people to print at home have to go through licensing, that they have to go through background checks for anybody that's going to get them and download them online. Essentially, what they're going to do is destroy these people's businesses because for them to go through, unless unless you're a ghost gun instruction manufacturer that somehow got you know millions of dollars lying around, and maybe they do, maybe this industry has exploded beyond what I can comprehend, 
you're killing that industry off essentially because to go through that process, I'm sure is lengthy, expensive. You're now going to have to engage in a background, uh, you know, checking company, or you know, I don't even know how you go through it, register with the federal government, go through that process. Good luck making that happen in, in a short amount of time. In the meantime, these people are sitting around. I don't know what they do if they've got other jobs, but it's going to pretty much bring that industry to a complete standstill for quite some time. Now, as I said, this is a free speech issue. And what Angela and I were talking about in the statement that she put out today, which you'll be able to read on the Twitter soon, and also you know, we'll see what media outlets pick it up. But the way we looked at this is that if you're talking about the government and you're talking about free speech and censoring information according to quote-unquote public safety, well, we need to look no further than what just happened with COVID to see the government and its ability to censor, and how that can go terribly, terribly wrong when it is regarding speech and information. The government told us that the vaccines were safe and effective and don't prevent or that do prevent transmission, uh, none of which is true. They told us that it was never created in a lab. They told us that, uh, what else did they say? What other lies did they tell us? They told us that uh, your uh, mask was very effective, right? They told us that your six feet distancing was the best way to avoid contamination. None of these things were true. And every single time that somebody tried to push back against it, well, the government worked hand in hand with social media companies to censor these people. Why should we trust the government to censor anything? Especially when it's regarding a constitutionally protected right, like the Second Amendment is, to bear arms. Why can I not get the information to build something that I supposedly have a right to? I don't understand how they can possibly argue that this isn't a First Amendment violation and a Second Amendment violation. But yet, here we fucking are. So it's a shameful ruling. John Roberts, uh, Coney Barrett should both be embarrassed. Frankly, all the justices should be embarrassed that came down on this. Again, there's hope that this, this litigation is going to come through, that they're going to be able to provide uh, accurate arguments as to why this should not be put forth, why uh, the ATF should not be able to regulate what is essentially in for fucking mation. But as we've seen, the Constitution is a very flimsy shield. And that's why, you know, I had Max Borders on his idea to create a better Constitution, guys. So, you know, check that out. That was, I think, three episodes ago. Just look up Max Borders, Lions of Liberty, Mean Age Daydream. You'll pull it up. But he's holding a competition. $25,000, guys. Create a better one. All right. So there's your ghost guns take. This is going to be a very short episode, by the way. Uh, apologies for that. But I'll make it up to you next episode. Uh, I'm having John Ziegler on, who, of course, famous for his work with the Sandusky Penn State trial, exposing that as the sham it was. John has had him on several times. First time I'm having John on because I want to talk to him about the death of journalism, which is what the name of John's podcast is. Very interesting podcast. He talks a lot about politics, uh, talks a lot about culture and entertainment, but also John is a longtime media, you know, not only a commentator, been on, you know, regularly on Fox News and News Nation, and it used to be on the, the liberal leading stations as well. But of course, you know, now they don't do that anymore. And also was a longtime columnist, uh, longtime radio personality here in Los Angeles and, and other places. So, we're going to talk about what has become of journalism. Of course, me with public relations experience of 20 years, I have seen what's happened, especially after the Trump era. Um, we're going to talk about the collapse of the industry, what caused it, um, what the fall it is, if there's any solutions or any savings. It. So savings, it, saving it. 
Okay, moving on from ghost guns. Let's talk about this little uh, tidbit of a story here. So doctors of California are suing California over forced implicit bias and DEI training in medicine. Now, what's interesting about this story is that two doctors, both of color, are actually suing the state of California for this. One is Dr. Azita Katibi. She is a, uh, a woman who I believe actually runs the trainings. Yes, she does. And also a second plaintiff, I'm trying to find her name. She is a, uh, a black lawyer, actually, who also had opposed this. So the way this is working out is that these two are taking opposition because when you have to recertify, essentially, to be a doctor in California, they are forcing you into taking these DEI courses and uh, implicit bias courses, which, as they are stating, directly tell you that white people are inherently racist. Now, when you're talking about the medical community, you can see why this would be a very evil problem and one which has to be overcome and eradicated. Because if you're a doctor and you're going to treat a patient and you, to get recertified, essentially have to be brainwashed into believing that, what, 60% of your patients? I mean, it depends on what demographic you're in, what region you're in, but could be primarily Latino, could be white, could be Hispanic, whatever it might be. My doctor is of Indian descent, although he's born here, um, but many doctors are here Indian. So these doctors who are not white, let's say, now are taking implicit bias training to learn that their white patients are racist. So as a doctor, you're now sitting down being told by the your, to get your certification, you have to accept the fact that all of your patients are now secretly thinking that you are below them. And I, as a white man now, supposedly are thinking that you, as a person of color, despite the fact that you've been my doctor for 20 years, that you're below me. You are inadequate and inferior because I have implicit white bias. And that is what is being pushed through in the medical community. Now, academia is evil enough in how it is pushing gender and race ideologies through to children. But we know that that's been captured already by leftism, by Marxists, right? We know that critical race theory is essentially Marxism in a race packaging. But to see this in the medical environment, that is terrifying. Now, California is one that doesn't surprise me to hear this in because California pretty much does everything badly. California also made it so that if you denied the COVID narrative, they could remove your medical license. Funny how that's come about, considering the fact that all the shit that was out there was false that the medical community was pushing and that the doctors that would have stood up against that were actually the ones that were correct. But you could have had your medical license revoked for arguing against the COVID narrative as presented by the World Health Organization and the CDC. So, these two women now are taking the case, they're suing the government, and it's going to be really interesting to see exactly what comes out of this. Because similar to what I'm going to talk about in just a minute with Elon Musk, really the fascination here is what's going to be coming out during these periods where they're diving, or sharing evidence, where they're pulling it out to use in the testimony in the court trial and revealing exactly what is being taught to your doctor. And I can guarantee you it's going to cause pretty much of a, a massive outrage, even among the white liberals, if they know and if they find out that definitively their doctors are being told that they're racist. Because your doctor may not treat you the same way. They might not give you the best medicines. They might not give you a medicine in an appropriate time frame. They might not give you the good referrals. The implicit 
racism that's being instilled here is that which is going to imbue itself in the mind of the doctor against their patients. And when you're talking about life and death situations, when you're talking about health, medical well-being, and recommendations for a patient, thinking your patient is a racist and doesn't like you, that could pretty much fuck up how you treat that patient. So one of the greater evils I think that we can spot in regards to DEI, implicit bias, racism, quote unquote, uh, you know, equity, whatever you want to call it, exists within the medical community. So good on these women. All right. Two more topics, guys, then we'll wrap it on up here. So this is really interesting. Elon Musk posted on X, a name I still fucking hate. (laughs) I hate it so much. I hate it so much. But he posted on X that he would pay, and X would pay, I shouldn't say he personally, they would pay for the legal bills of anybody that was fired from their place of employment due to something posted on the social platform. Now, this is a move of genius, not only because I'm out here talking about it, but from a public relations standpoint, it now fuels coverage on Twitter in what Elon Musk wants, which is that Twitter is a free speech platform that's debatable and that some things are are censored, but let's say a freer speech platform than the other ones that are existing out there for the most part, mainstream ones. But every trial that gets covered is going to give him massive publicity. Not only is it going to give him publicity, but it should help to shame companies that are firing employees for free speech, try to shift that window so that they're very negligent or sorry, they're very hesitant to go down that road, knowing that there's going to be a lawsuit coming their way, backed by a billionaire of this massive corporation. And not only that, but it's interesting to see the timing of this, too, and that people are now getting paid out. I'm not, sadly. I should be someday, but I'm not yet. But getting paid out for attracting views, attracting uh, people to the platform. So the incentive is there for people to talk about this, and the incentive is also there for People not only that are on the platform to to speak their minds, but to speak them more freely, I think, because you can attract that. So these people that have these lawsuits, not only are they going to get publicity, but they actually have the opportunity to make money off of the lawsuits by posting about the lawsuit, by drawing an uh, engagement, and then being paid for Twitter. So your legal bills are paid for, and also you have the opportunity to make money off your story. So that's one interesting aspect. But the other aspect of this is that by diving into this, you're really giving, just like, as I said with the the pre- previous insta, previous, I, I'm blanking on the name of the word, story that I was just talking about of these women suing California and how much of this evidence is going to come out through this period where they're going to be diving into it. Well, in the same vein, Twitter being able to, to dive in and find out exactly what's going on with these companies that are firing people for usage, well, they're going to get a lot of very valuable feedback on how companies and their HR staffs are diving in on Twitter. That's going to give them more ammunition to, again, attack and defend their position as a free speech unit. It's going to give them plenty of the news media, plenty of ammunition to go after and cover how media bias or excuse me, how this HR and leftist bias is being applied against conservatives. Um, it's really fascinating. I mean, it's a genius move. I honestly wonder the gambit he's making if he's even going to have to take that many cases on because simply making the statement is going to have such a chilling effect on any company looking to fire an employee. I mean, that's the other aspect of this. that is such a brilliant move on his part and you got to give the guy credit. I mean, people are talking about Trump playing 4D chess. I mean, this is a 4D chess move. 
by simply saying, we will support you, no limit, any amount of people will take on your legal fees, the chilling effect that will have on HR's firing people from posting on Twitter means that Twitter will be a safer platform for people to post honest, open thoughts and dialogue than anywhere else. Think about that. If you know, as an HR director, your company is going to get fucking sued because you fire somebody from Twitter, guess who's not going to get fired for posting on Twitter? It is a brilliant tactical move by Elon Musk, and he probably won't even have to take on that many cases. Now that the word is out, it's like what America is supposed to be. Speak softly, carry a big stick. That is essentially the move that Twitter and Elon Musk are doing here. He's genius for a reason, guys. He's a billionaire for a reason, guys. I don't know if this was his idea. I don't know if his PR or legal team came up with it first, but fucking magnificent. Well done, Elon. And the last thing, guys, I thought this was pretty funny. I uh, was laughing to myself, but CNN and, and other outlets have been posting about how America and Americans, I shouldn't say America, Americans, we, you, us, have amassed a trillion dollars in credit debt. And this is somehow being touted as a wow milestone figure. Now, let's all collectively roll our eyes. Number one, I don't know, you know this, if this is purely credit card debt. I think it's purely credit debt. Let's not pretend that in an inflationary period, people haven't had to borrow more money to make ends meet. So to say that this is somehow an indictment of, uh, of, you know, the American psyche or people's, uh, credit budgeting, well, probably not entirely genuous there, right? A little disingenuous. Now, that being said, we are a stupid nation when it comes to savings. But at the same time, when you have inflationary periods, your incentive to save has essentially been removed because all your savings are doing is being raped by the government. And we know that I would say at a minimum, people's purchasing power, people's savings have been eroded by roughly 10%. Unless your money's in the stock market, then you know, kind of goes up because the stock market just seems to play by its own rules. It shows you just how disconnected stock market is from everyday economic factors. But this touting of the the one trillion credit uh just made me chuckle because even though we're talking about credit debt versus overall debt here i mean that's still one thirty third the amount of debt that the united states government has racked up hasn't it i mean isn't that kind of fucking funny i'd say good job america you know we all should have 33 times the debt if we played by the same rules as our government but yet that seems to be you know other than the fitch downgrade uh, seems to be something that no one's really too concerned about because we'll just print more money. Meanwhile, the everyday American just sits there being completely fucked um, and needing to go turn towards more credit debt because wages never catch up to inflation anywhere near as fast. We still have an environment despite Bidenomics. Like, is this CNN posts this fucking this, this stupid thing about one trillion debt and doesn't even talk about how absurd it is that Joe Biden is out there touting Bidenomics, even though, as the great Jeffrey Tucker just recently pointed out, the numbers they're talking about for jobs created is horseshit. You're like, oh, well, guess what? More jobs were added. Oh, the employment rate's down to 3.5%. Well, guess what? People left the fucking workforce. People that stopped looking for jobs, you know, after, after uh, six months aren't even counted in this shit. So there's no, there's no big recovery here. There's no Bidenomics success story here. 
You killed the economy during COVID. People were fired in mass from their jobs if they didn't comply with the COVID vaccines. And now slowly people are trickling down, but yet there's still a dearth of jobs in the marketplace. There's still a very, very few jobs that have been filled. I mean, go to any local restaurant and you can see that there is a massive dearth of serving staff. There's, you know, your wait times for almost any restaurant or any public service you want to go to are vastly impacted by the fact that there's not enough people working still. So those people just are still out of the workforce. So to talk about this as though, as though we're in some sort of economic boom where everybody's working is still complete horseshit. What's happened is that people are slowly burning through the amount of money that they saved up having to do jack shit by getting paid out by the government during COVID with the stimulus checks from the government, from their local governments, from the rent moratoriums that were put into place. And now they slowly are trickling back in. And somehow we're being told that we're living in some sort of cotton candy mountain, you know, rock candy filled world where marshmallows are under our feet and gold, gold falls from the skies into our, uh, our mouth holes. It's just such a raft of bullshit. Such a raft of bullshit. All right. That's going to wrap it up, guys. I got to get back to doing... Uh, many more things, but I'll be back next week with a longer episode with John Ziegler. So I look forward to talking to you then and also having a little bit more stable ground under my feet after a week of hell that's going to end, by the way, on Friday with me moving into a temporary house as my construction hopefully begins, unless the fucking asbestos tester finds asbestos, which knowing my luck surely will happen. So that's the other wrinkle. Moving house. Trying to get all that shit packed up. Horrible. It's a horrible nightmare. All right. From me, your nightmare king, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty Network, and from Mean Age Daydream, always keep those eyes, those uh, electric eyes, on me, babe, and keep that ray gun, unregulated fucking ghost ray gun, to my head. <laughs>